Welcome to Trifecta Now, Living A Course in Miracles. This is season five, and it's called The Book Club. We're on chapter seven. Welcome back. The journey to discovering who we truly are has its difficulties at times. We have trained our minds to believe that in this world, we live a specific life, and what happens to us is partly up to us. We have trained our minds to accept things as they appear to be. We have trained our minds to have feelings about our circumstances and to accept that we are powerless to change it. We have trained our minds to feel pain and misery and despair as it relates to our existence, our circumstances. The most significant words I've just spoken are, we have trained our minds. The truth is we have, and we can retrain them too. We can change our perception, we can change our circumstances, and we can change our feelings all by changing our minds and the way we think and perceive everything and everyone around us. This next section of chapter seven of the book focuses on our abilities and not our inabilities. It emphasizes that we are what we believe we are. That belief is rooted in many things, but most of all, it has separated us from who we truly are and what our function is in this world. Chapter seven is called The Gifts of the Kingdom. We stopped on page 123, uh, Vigilance to Peace. So let's begin. Chapter seven, we will cover from Vigilance to Peace, the totality of the kingdom, the unbelievable belief the extension of the kingdom, the confusion of pain and joy, and the state of grace. Yes, I did add one more on, an additional uh, one for this week, and that's only so we can complete chapter seven today. I'll continue with chapter eight in two weeks, and that chapter is called The Journey Back. So let's begin. Paragraph one says, although you can love the sonship only as one, you can perceive it as fragmented. It is impossible, however, to see something in part of it that you will not attribute to all of it. That is why attack is never discreet and why it must be relinquished entirely. If it is not relinquished entirely, it is not relinquished at all. Fear and love make or create, depending on whether the ego or the Holy Spirit begets or inspires them. But they will return to the mind of the thinker and they will affect his total perception. That includes his concept of God, of his creations and of of his own. He will not appreciate any of them if he regards them fearfully. He will appreciate all of them if he regards them with love. Paragraph two says, the mind that accepts attack cannot love. That is because it believes it can destroy love and therefore does not understand what love is. If it does not understand what love is, it cannot perceive itself as loving. This loses the awareness of being induces feelings of unreality and results in utter confusion. Your thinking has done this because of its power, 
but your thinking can also save you from this because its power is not of your making. Your ability to direct your thinking as you choose is part of its power. If you do not believe you can do this, you have denied the power of your thought and thus rendered it powerless in your belief. Wow, I find that to be a really big statement right there. I'm going to actually read that again on sentence five. It says, your thinking has done this because of its power, but your thinking can also save you from this because its power is not of your making. So God is the power here. Your ability to direct your thinking as you choose is part of its power. So we have that power. If you believe you can do this, sorry, if you believe you cannot do this, you've denied the power of your thought and thus rendered it powerless in your belief. Hmm. Next page. Paragraph four, this on page 124. Paragraph four starts with the ego cannot afford to know anything. Knowledge is total and the ego does not believe in totality. Sentence five says, produced by fear, the ego reproduces fear. This is its allegiance, and this allegiance makes it treacherous to love because you, my friend, are love. Love is your power, which the ego must deny. It must also deny everything this power gives you because it gives you everything. No one who has everything wants the ego. Its maker then does not want it. Paragraph five says the ego therefore opposes all appreciation, all recognition, all sane perception, and all knowledge. Sentence three says forced therefore to detach itself from you, it is willing to attach itself to anything else. But there is nothing else. The mind can, however, make up illusions, and if it does so, it will believe in them, because that is how it made them. Paragraph six says, the Holy Spirit undoes illusions without attacking them, because he cannot perceive them at all. They therefore do not exist for him. He resolves the apparent conflict that they engender by perceiving conflict as meaningless. I've said before that the Holy Spirit perceives the conflict exactly as it is, and it is meaningless. The Holy Spirit does not want you to understand conflict. He wants you to realize that because conflict is meaningless, it is not understandable. Paragraph seven near the bottom says, if you will keep in mind what the Holy Spirit offers you, you cannot be vigilant for anything but God and his kingdom. The only reason you may find this hard to accept is because you may still think there's something else. Next page, page 125. Sentence seven at the top says, when you believe something, you have made it true for you. Paragraph eight says, I have repeatedly emphasized that the ego does believe it can attack God and tries to persuade you that you have done this. If the mind cannot attack, the ego proceeds perfectly logically to the belief that you must be a body then. By not seeing you as you are, it can see itself as it wants to be. Hmm. Awareness of its weakness, the ego wants your allegiance, but not as you really are. The ego therefore wants to engage your mind in its own delusional system 
because otherwise the light of your understanding would dispel it. Sentence eight says, commitment to either must be total. They cannot coexist in your mind without splitting it. If they cannot coexist in peace, and if you want peace, you must give up the idea of conflict entirely and for all time. Paragraph nine says your mind is dividing its allegiance between two kingdoms and you are totally committed to neither. (laughs) Sentence three says, what you are is not established by your perception and is not influenced by it at all. Perceived problems in identification at any level are not problems of fact. They are problems of understanding. Since their presence implies a belief that what you are is up to you to decide, the ego believes this totally and being fully committed to it. Paragraph 10 says, you can perceive, you can be perceived with meaning only by the Holy Spirit because your being, being who you truly are, is the knowledge of God. Sentence three says, unless you perceive his creation truly, you cannot know the creator since God and his creation are not separate. The oneness of the creator and the creation is your wholeness, your sanity, and your limitless power. Next page. Paragraph 11 says, perceived without your part in it, God's creation is seen as weak, and those who see themselves as weakened do attack. Sentence three says, therefore, they make up images, perceive them as unworthy, and attack them for their unworthiness. That is all the world of the ego is. Nothing. It has no meaning. It does not exist. Do not try to understand it, because if you do, you're believing that it can be understood and is therefore capable of being appreciated and loved. Paragraph 13 at the bottom says, in this depressing state, the Holy Spirit reminds you gently that you are sad because you are fulfilling, you are not, sorry, fulfilling your function as co-creator with God and therefore depriving yourself of joy. This is not, not God's choice for you. Sentence four, yet because God's will is unchangeable, no conflict of will is possible. This is the Holy Spirit's perfectly consistent teaching. Creation, not separation, is your will because it is God's. And nothing that opposes this means anything at all. So that is the... um going to go back here, called From Vigilance to Peace. Just really stating here that it's so important that we understand those this two-mindedness, this ego versus the spirit, and how much vigilance we need to put until we can release ourselves from the ego and from all the judgment and from all the craziness that our minds create and be one with spirit. We need to be vigilant with spirit. We need to be vigilant with the Holy Spirit and have that conversation and ask for the guidance every day. Next page 127, the totality of the kingdom. Paragraph one, whenever you deny a blessing to a brother, you will feel deprived because denial is as total as love. 
It is impossible to deny part of the sonship as it is to love it in part. Sentence five says denial has no power in itself, but you can give it power of your mind whose power is within is without limit. If you use it to deny reality, reality is gone for you. Reality cannot be partly appreciated. That is why denying any part of it means you have lost the awareness of all of it. Now, when again, just so everyone's clear, when we're talking about reality, we're not talking about this world. This world, according to this book, is not reality. Reality is God's kingdom. Sentence 13 at the bottom says, you will never be able to exclude yourself from your thoughts. That's why you need to change them. Paragraph two says, when a brother acts insanely, he is offering you an opportunity to bless him. He needs, his need is yours. You need the blessing you can offer him. There is no way for you to have it except by giving it. This is the law of God and it has no exceptions. What you deny, you lack, not because it is lacking, but because you have denied it in another and are therefore not aware of it in yourself. Every response you make is determined by what you think you are and what you want to be is what you think you are. What you want to be then must determine every response you make. Paragraph three says, you do not need God's blessing because that you have forever. And you do, and you do not need yours because you already have that as well. The ego's picture of you is deprived, unloving, and vulnerable. You cannot love this, yet you can very easily escape from this image by leaving it behind. You are not there, and that is not you. Do not see this picture in anyone, or you have accepted it as you. I find this really interesting because it keeps this message so far in this three paragraphs, keep saying, whatever you give out, you will get back. We've, we've heard that message forever in our lives, but it's really important to understand whatever you think about somebody else is how you perceive yourself whenever it's negative. Well, and positive. So if you love someone, you love yourself, you know, if you can truly love. All right. Um, sentence in paragraph three, sentence nine near the bottom says, your brother is the mirror in which you see the image of yourself as long as perception lasts. And perception will last until the sonship knows itself as whole. Paragraph four at the bottom of 127 says, illusions are investments. They will last as long as you value them. Values are relative, but they are powerful because they are mental judgments. Next page. Page 128. The gift of life is yours to give because it was given you. Sentence five. All confusion comes from not extending life because that is not the will of your creator. Paragraph six. Only honor is a fitting gift for those whom God himself created worthy of honor and whom he honors, which is everyone, by the way, give them the appreciation God accords them always because they are his beloved sons in whom he is well-pleased. 
Sentence five says, but love everything he created of which you are a part, or you cannot learn of his peace and accept his gift for yourself and as yourself. You cannot know your own perfection until you have honored all those who were created like you. Paragraph seven, sentence five, those who attack do not know they are blessed. They attack because they believe they are deprived. Give, therefore, of your abundance and teach your brothers theirs. Do not share their illusions of scarcity or you will perceive yourself as lacking. Next page, page 129, paragraph nine, sentence three says this, whenever a brother attacks another, that is what he believes. Projection always sees your wishes in others. If you choose to separate yourself from God, that is what you will think others are doing to you. I want to clarify attack as well, because I think a lot of time, I know when I first started reading this book, I kept visualizing attack as being a physical thing. We're when they refer to attack in this book, it can be verbal, it can be nonverbal, it can be physical, it can be all the ways in which we can attack another brother. Paragraph 10, you are the will of God. Do not accept anything else as your will. And you are denying what you are. Deny this and you will attack, believing you have been attacked but see the love of God in you and you will see it in everywhere because it is everywhere. Sentence eight, a little bit further down says the peace of God is understanding this. There's only one way out of the world's thinking, just as there was only one way into it. Understand totally by understanding totality. And paragraph 11, sentence two says, this correction enables you to perceive any part of creation as wholly real, wholly perfect, and wholly desirable. Wanting this only you will have this only, and giving this only you will be only this. The gifts you offer to the ego are always experienced as sacrifices, but the gifts you offer to the kingdom are gifts to you. Okay, so that is the end of um, the totality of the kingdom. Again, really, really stressing that we are all one, and then in le- and we will not be able to understand our existence and understand our function unless we can embrace everyone exactly the same. No differences. Page one twenty nine. Paragraph one at the bottom says, we have said that this is called the unbelievable belief. We have said that without projection, there can be no anger, but it is also true that without extension, there can be no love. Next page, 130. At the top, sentence six says to the Holy Spirit, it is the fundamental law of sharing by which you give what you value in order to keep it in your mind. To the Holy Spirit, it is the law of extension. Sentence 10 says, this choice is up to you, but it is not up to you to decide whether or not you will utilize the law. Every mind must project or extend because this is how it lives and every mind is life. 
paragraph two. The ego's use of projection must be fully understood before the inevitable association between projection and anger can be finally undone. The ego always tries to preserve conflict. It is very ingenious in devising ways to that seem to diminish conflict because it does not want you to find conflict so intolerable that you will insist on giving it up. Sentence six, it projects conflict from your mind to other minds in an attempt to persuade you that you've gotten rid of the problem. Paragraph three, there are two major errors involved in this attempt. Sentence three, any attempt to keep part of it and get rid of another part does not really mean anything. Sentence six says the second error is that the idea that you can get rid of something you do not want by giving it away. Giving it is how you keep it. Ooh. Paragraph four, you cannot perpetuate an illusion about another without perpetuating it about yourself. Paragraph five on page 131 says, do not be afraid of the ego. Sentence four, when you are willing to accept sole responsibility for the ego's existence, you will have laid aside all anger and all attack because they come from an attempt to project responsibility for your own errors. But having accepted the errors as yours, do not keep them. Give them over quickly to the Holy Spirit to be undone completely so that all their effects will vanish from your mind and from the sonship as a whole. Paragraph seven says, the whole purpose of this course is to teach that, that the ego is unbelievable and will forever be unbelievable. Sentence four at the bottom says, this identification is as beyond doubt as it is beyond belief. Your wholeness has no limits because being is infinity. And I think that's, yeah, that's the last part of that. So, oh, interesting, the unbelievable belief. So just, again, really, really stressing the importance of understanding that you can't just give problems away, that you can't just get rid of anger by putting it on somebody else. That's not how it works. And if you really think about it, it never ends the problem. The Holy Spirit always solves problems by it being win-win. Both parties have to have let it go. If the other hasn't let it go, it's still a problem for you. And that's something that all of us have a hard time with accepting. But we can give this back. We can extend and through extension, we will change people's minds. We will help them to let it go. Next page, which is 132 called the extension of the kingdom. Paragraph one, sentence three, do not withhold your gifts to the sonship or you withhold yourself from God. Selfishness is of the ego, but self fullness is of spirit because that is how God created it. The Holy Spirit is in the part of the mind that lies between the ego and the spirit, mediating between them always in favor of the spirit. The Holy Spirit is team spirit. <laughs> Paragraph two, spirit knows that the awareness of all its brothers is included in its own as it is included in God. 
The power of the whole sonship and of its creator is therefore spirit's own fullness, rendering its creation equally whole and equal in perfection. Sentence five says, creating is the opposite of loss as blessing is the opposite of sacrifice. Being must be extended. This is how it retains the knowledge of itself. Spirit yearns to share its being as its creator did. Created by sharing, its will is to create. It does not wish to to contain God, but wills to extend his being. Paragraph three, the extension of God's being is spirit's only function. Sentence three says, fullness is extension. The ego's whole thought system blocks extension and thus blocks your only function. It therefore blocks your joy so that you perceive yourself as unfulfilled. Oh, and how many times have we done that? Do we feel, walk around feeling unfulfilled? That's the ego's work. Paragraph four, the kingdom is forever extending because it is the mind of God. You do not know your joy because you do not know your own self-fullness. Exclude any part of the kingdom from yourself and you are not whole. Next page, page 133 at the top, sentence six says, the full appreciation of the mind's self-fullness makes selfishness impossible and extension inevitable. That is why there is perfect peace in the kingdom. Spirit is fulfilling its function and only complete fulfillment is peace. Paragraph five says, your creations are protected for you because the Holy Spirit who is in your mind knows of them and can bring them into your awareness whenever you will let him. They are there as part of your own being because your fulfillment includes them. The creations of every son of God are yours, since every creation belongs to everyone being created for the sonship as a whole. Paragraph seven says, be confident that you have never lost your identity and that the extensions which maintain it in wholeness, in pe- which maintain it in wholeness and peace. Miracles are an expression of this confidence. They are reflections of both your proper identification and your brother's and of your awareness that your identification is maintained by extension. The next part is called The Confusion of Pain and Joy. It's on page 133, but I'm going to start reading from it on page 134. Paragraph two, it is surely clear that you can both accept into your mind what is not there and deny what is. Sentence three, it is the logical outcome of what you are. The ability to see a logical outcome depends on the willingness to see it, but its truth has nothing to do with your willingness. Sentence seven says, deny his will as yours and you are denying his kingdom as yours. Paragraph three says, the Holy Spirit will direct you only as so as to avoid pain. Surely no one would object to this goal if he recognized it. The problem is not whether what the Holy Spirit says is true, but whether you want to listen to what he says. Sentence six says, what is joyful to you is painful to the ego. And as long as you are in doubt about what you are, you will be confused about joy and pain. 
This confusion is the cause of the whole idea of sacrifice. Obey the Holy Spirit and you will be giving up the ego, but you will be sacrificing nothing. On the contrary, you will be gaining everything. If you believe this, there would be no conflict. Paragraph four, sentence eight says, your will is as powerful as his because it is his. The ego's wishes do not mean anything because the ego wishes for the impossible. You can wish for the impossible, but you can only will, or so you can will only with God. This is the ego's weakness and your strength. Next page, page 135, paragraph six says, the Holy Spirit is perfectly trustworthy as you are. God himself trusts you, and therefore your trustworthiness is beyond question. It will always remain beyond question, however much you may question it. I said before that you are the will of God. Paragraph seven, sentence three says, his voice will teach you how to distinguish between pain and joy and will lead you out of the confusion you have made. There is no confusion in the mind of a son of God, whose will must be the will of the father, because the father's will is his son's. Next page, and this is the last part of this um, chapter. It's called The State of Grace. Okay, paragraph one, the Holy Spirit will always guide you truly because your joy is his. This is his will for everyone because he speaks for the kingdom of God, which is joy. Following him is therefore the easiest thing in the world and the only thing that is easy because it is not of this world. It is therefore natural. And I have to say that it is very easy. Sentence eight says, by demonstrating to yourself, there is no order of difficulty in miracles. You will convince yourself that in your natural state, there is no difficulty at all because your natural state is a state of grace. Paragraph two says, grace is the natural state of every son of God. When he is not in a state of grace, he is out of his natural environment and does not function well. Everything he does becomes a strain because he was not created for the environment that he has made. He therefore cannot adapt to it, nor can he, nor can, he cannot adapt to it, nor can he adapt it to him. Paragraph three says, consider the kingdom you have made and judge its worth fairly. Is it worthy to be a home for a child of God? Question mark. Does it protect his peace and shine love upon him? Question mark. Does it keep his heart untouched by fear and allow him to give always without any sense of loss? Question mark. Does it teach him that this giving is his joy and that God himself thanks him for his giving, question mark. That is the only environment in which you can be happy. You cannot make it any more than you can make yourself. It has been created for you as you were created for it. God watches over his children and denies them nothing. Paragraph four says, I call upon you to remember that I've chosen you to teach the kingdom to the kingdom. There are no exceptions to this lesson because the lack of exceptions is the lesson. <laughs> no one is left out. Paragraph five says, when a next page 137, when a mind has only light, it knows only light. Its own radiance shines all around it. 
and extends out into the darkness of other minds, transforming them into majesty. Paragraph seven, sentence six at the bottom says, being is known by sharing. Because God shared his being with you, you can know him. But you must also know all he created to know what you have shared. So I know what they have shared. Without your father, you will not know your fatherhood. The kingdom of God includes all his sons and all their children who are as, are as like the sons as they are like the father. Know them, know then the sons of God and you will know all creation. Wow. So that is the end of chapter seven. Oh, that was lovely. So um, what do I want to tell you? Trifecta Now Masterclass Overcoming Death is scheduled for Thursday, January 20th, 20th, next Thursday. That's one of the classes at 5.30. If you're unable to sign up for the Thursday evening class, then it does run again on Saturday, January 29th at 9.30. All of this is Eastern Standard Time, so you'd have to check the time zones that you live in and see how that would work. Overcoming Death has been designed to share the teachings of the course specifically related to death. If you're interested in registering for either dates, you have to email me at trifectanow3 at gmail.com. I'll set you all up if you want to email me, and this will be done on a Zoom link. I have spaces still in both classes. If you're interested, please email me as soon as you can. This is the start of a journey of learning and sharing. Come join me. I will be starting, oh, I want to also tell you that I'll be starting, kind of continuing, because I haven't really stopped, an online live book club, which is again, will be done on Zoom on Wednesday, February 9th at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So if you're in my time zone on Wednesday nights at seven, I do a book club. I've been doing this for years. So it's my ongoing book club. We're actually finishing the book and on February 9th, we'll be restarting it. So I'm I'm opening up for anyone listening who would like to join. Now you'll have to email me again. Uh, I can't have 300 people on it. So I'd like to keep it small. If I find a lot of interest, I'll, I might actually just do another one and invite as many people as I can. So the sooner you can email me about that, the better. And there will be some people from the previous uh, the previous book clubs joining in because like me, they want to keep reading it and keep learning. I would also like to say hello to some friends out there. I've been doing that this on and off all along for the last almost three years. I've been doing this podcast, which is awesome. I'm almost at my three-year anniversary. That'll be in June this year. So I would like to say hello to San Diego, California, all my friends there, to Kihei, Hawaii, to San Jose de Cabo, which is in Baja, California, Hot Springs, Montana. Oh, that sounds lovely right now. Well, we're really, really cold up here in Canada. um, Also to Gallatin, Tennessee and Germantown, Tennessee. Hey, Tennessee. Thanks for joining. Thanks for listening. I can be contacted by email again at trifectanow3 at gmail.com. You can find that in the podcast notes. So you can find the email there. 
You can ask me a question, say, share a comment, just even say hello. I will have details of this month's math, of this month's math master class in that section as well. Thanks for joining me on this journey. Keep sharing the love. Remember, this is our journey. Let us together find our way. Live in this moment. It's the only one that truly matters. Always love, Denise.